Good morning. <laughs> that was awesome. Everyone's so excited that it's starting to become sunny and warm, right? Yeah, yeah. It improves all of our moods. My name's Jen. We're so glad that you're here. And welcome to the jar. Uh, we hope that you enjoy your morning. We want you to be comfortable and feel welcome. If you need something to drink or something to eat, please feel free to grab that and bring it in. If any of us can help you, please let us know. We're here to serve you. Inside your program, you will find a little card that looks like this. It's your Get Connected card. Whether this is your first time here or whether you've been coming for a really long time, we do invite you to fill the information out. We do not stalk, folks. We will not invite ourselves over for a cookout now that it's spring or anything weird. We just want to be able to get to know you and for you to get to know us and keep uh, updated on things that are happening. On the back side, there's a place to put prayer requests. So if there's anything going on in your life that you'd like for the prayer team to lift up during this week, we invite you to put that information down. Prayers are always held in confidence. And right below that, there's a place for suggestions or comments, and we welcome those as well. This card will go in the offering bag as it comes by here in a few moments. If you have never had the opportunity to do so, and you have recently started attending the JAR, uh, we invite you to stop by our Guest Connections location right over here as you exit the gym. We have a free gift for you. No strings attached. We just want to say we're really glad that you're here, and we want to show our joy in sharing uh, morning, Sunday morning with you. So please still stop by there and get your free gift. There are always things happening at the JAR, and so I invite you to read your program for that information. There's also some information on the website, so you can check that out as well. I'm going to highlight a couple of things this morning. First of all, immediately following this celebration, we're all going to gather around the pool because we're going to celebrate baptism today. That's right. That's right. For sure, applause is deserved for that. That's amazing. It's always so incredible to see people surrender their lives to Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate that with those people uh, immediately following this celebration. So we invite you to gather around the pool for that. The other thing is I'm carrying this green bag. And I want to tell you about one of our ministries. It's one of our great ministries here at the Dark called Operation Shop. This bag um, is filled by different shoppers throughout the church and then given to other folks in the church who are in need of food and, and general supplies for their home. Uh, Bonnie Wynn over here, she's going to give you a little bit of a wave. She's at the Operation Shop table. And she and her team have done an amazing job of being able to put this ministry together. We need more shoppers. So if you're interested in taking home a bag with you today and filling it, it takes about 10 to $15, and we do this once a month. So 10 to $15 once a month to fill this bag, and then it goes to someone else in the church who is in need of food and other supplies. So just take a moment if you're at all interested or you think that that's something that you could participate in and stop by and talk to Bonnie. She'd be glad to get you set up with a bag to take home and fill and bring back next week. At this time, we're going to take an offering, and we just want you to 
ask God to speak to your heart about what he would want you to give. We, we just, we're not interested in getting to know your money. We really are interested in getting to know you. But we, we offer this opportunity for you to give freely because God just gives so freely to us. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this day and for the sunshine and the way that it falls on our shoulders and warms us. Um, we just pray that your Holy Spirit comes and falls in our hearts and warms our hearts, that we would be fertile soil for you, for uh, the message that you have for us today. We pray that as Chris speaks, that his words would fall on our hearts um, as your words, and that we would be changed by you today. God, we pray a blessing on this offering. We ask that you would multiply it and give the leadership the wisdom to know how to use it to best serve people, your people and expand your kingdom. We thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. They are actually going to come up here, so uh, that's good. Hey, let's give all of our uh, servers that are uh, our greeting, passer, the usher kind of people. Let's uh, thank them. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great in a church, like when the offering came, everybody's like, Let's give. You know what I mean? Like, that's not that's not the norm. I can tell you. Anyways, hey, uh, you know what's going on in three weeks? Anybody want to take a guess? Easter. You know, somebody in the first session said the final four. I'm like, dude, you're in church. You know what I mean? Like, it should be Easter. Well, hey, I'm really excited about Easter. We like to do Easter big here at the Jar, and I want to challenge you on three different things. The first is, when you walked in today, you should have received a card that looks like that. And uh, I'd like you to pull it out. It's in your program. If you can pull one of those out real quick. And what this is for... Hey, Shane, thanks. I needed one. So. There you go. Appreciate it. Uh, what this is for is uh, for not for you to come on Easter. Okay, We're assuming you're coming. This is to give to someone else and ask them if they would come. Now, statistics tell us that 60% of all people would come on Easter if they were just asked. Like, that's all you have to do. You just simply have to ask. Now, when you ask them to come, uh, a couple things help. Uh, first of all is if you're here. Um, that's one good thing. And secondly, that you would actually meet them somewhere so you could sit together. Like uh, I've heard people before, they'll invite someone and then they sit on one side and their person they invited sit somewhere else. No, 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 no. Tell them, hey, I'll meet you in the lobby. And then when you walk in, you can show them where Jar Cafe is. They can get a donut, coffee, and then you can take them up to our kids area if they have kids. And so uh, this is one way I want to strongly encourage you uh, to think about who it is that you could invite uh, in the next three weeks. Now, the second thing is, is that uh, our 9 o'clock celebration we know uh, has room to grow. So you're here at 1045. Now, if you invite someone to come and you invite them to the 1045, come to the 1045. But if there's anyone that would be willing to come at 9 o'clock, that will help us for some more space for this celebration. Now, don't do this. Don't say, hey, 
why don't you come at 9 and I'll be at 1045, okay? Don't do that, okay? Actually come and uh, hang out with them. Okay, last thing, the night before Easter and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, but the jar was, okay? We're going to set up the night before Easter, April uh, the 4th at 6 o'clock right here. So you can come. We need help with all kinds of stuff. And so if you can help us set things up, uh, that will help us prepare for the next day. Now, if you can't do that, if you could just come early on Easter Day and smile and greet people. You don't have to be on the hospitality team. You can just come and do that. And so uh, we want to encourage people to be out in the parking lot. So when people come in the parking lot, there are people there like, hey, welcome, we're so glad you're here. Come on in and kind of show them around. Now, if you're a mean person, don't come early, okay? Don't come early if you're a mean person. Come late, and uh, that will help us out, okay? But don't greet people if you're mean. All right. So, are you up for the challenge? All right. Well, let's pray, and we'll jump right in. God, thank you so much for your love, and thank you for every single person who's here today. It is not by coincidence that they're here, God. It's because you have brought them to this. It's not by chance, um, but they're here for a reason. And God, we ask that you would help us to increase our risk today, that we would um, be a people who would learn how to take risk on other people, knowing that there are many who have taken a risk on us, especially uh, you, Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that we would tap into what you're doing right now. I pray, God, that you would give the message to each person in this room specifically designed for what they need. And we pray this so that your name would be made great. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I wonder if I should invest in people. I do. Sometimes I wonder if people are worth investing in. Unlike financial investments uh, that usually always have some kind of return that you get back, people, on the other hand, typically create nothing more than problems and complications and difficulties in my life. I have been hurt by people. I've been taken advantage by people. I have been rejected by people. People, more than anything else in my life, have caused me more pain, more hurt, and more rejection. And sometimes I question, are people worth the risk? Is it really worth investing in people? I did some research this week, and I found that in 1950, there were 2.3 billion people in the world. And fast forward 65 years to 2015, there are 7.3 billion people in the world. And I looked at some studies, and what it found is that um, in all of... um, kind of the United States, uh, there are people who don't follow Christ, and there are people that don't follow Christ in the world, and if you think about how many Christ followers there actually are, there are 2.3 billion. So if you take 7.3 billion minus 2.3 billion, 
you come up with 5 billion people who don't know God. 5, people, five, million people, five billion people who are disconnected from him. Now, if you're like me, you kind of look at that number and you're like, 5 billion people. Like, that's not even easy to comprehend. That's a huge, huge number, 5 billion people. So I wanted to give a little uh, perspective to you. Uh, up here on the side screen now is, uh, not that, but the next one, there you go, uh, is Lucas Oil Stadium, home of the Super Bowl champs next year, right? Yeah. And so uh, the capacity crowd for Lucas Oil Stadium is 70,000 people. Now, here's the next one. This is Banker's Life Fieldhouse, where our Pacers, our playoff-bound Pacers, right? Like, in the first celebration, three people go like this. You know, not much faith there. But capacity crowd for uh, the Fieldhouse is 18,165 people. Now, the next one, which is in Indy, is Victory Field home of our Indianapolis Indians. They're a farm team for my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, look at that. I don't need your uh, little apathy clap there, okay? Now, if you take all of these together and you get a grand total, this is what it is. 103,861 people. Now, how long would it take for 5 billion people to consume these three venues? That's your math question for today. So turn to the person beside you. How long would it take for 5 billion people to go to these sold-out places? Go ahead. You want to know the answer? I didn't know. I honestly didn't. But Emily Skoglin, who's our small group coordinator, she's a math major. And so I called her. I said, I got this problem. So she figured it out. This is how long it would take for 5 billion people for these places to be sold out. This is how long it would take. 131 years and 10 months. That's how long. For those three venues to be sold out. Folks, that is what five billion people are. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, are they worth the risk? Are they worth the risk? Jesus put it this way. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, from this scripture kind of comes our big idea this morning, and it's this. That the harvest is plentiful, but the risk takers, the risk takers are few. So, in your uh, outline, if you want, you can just put the word in, risk takers. The risk takers are few. Folks, there are more than enough people in the world for you to reach out to and to show God's love to. The, the question is, will you take the risk? Will you take the risk? Will I take the risk? Will followers of Jesus Christ take the risk and invest in other people? 
Now, for the rest of our time, I want us to talk about the ultimate risk taker the world has ever known, Jesus himself. And the way we're going to look at some of his risk is by looking at two particular stories. The first story is about Jesus taking a risk on a madman, a person who had lost his mind. And this madman actually becomes the first missionary of the New Testament. Now, before we get to the story, I want to give you a little bit of background, kind of paint it for you. And uh, if we look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35, the story kind of begins this way in the background. That day, when Jesus, that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So Jesus is like hanging out with his disciples, his closest friends, people that he's invested in. And he says, hey guys, let's go on over to the other side. But there's something you need to understand. The disciples had never gone to the other side before. The only thing they had done was stay on the shoreline. They had never gone on to the other side. Because the other side was a place called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was an area where there were ten pagan cities. Ten cities that did not worship the one true God, but they worshipped wood or stone or creation. And if you were a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl in those days, you would never want to go to that pagan place. Now, the majority of the disciples were 16 or 17 years old. They weren't like 30. Jesus was 30, but all of his uh, followers, all of his best friends were much younger. And you had one that was Peter. He was probably more like 20 or 21. And then you had a younger one, John, who might have been closer to maybe the eighth grade. But for the most part, they were all 16 or 17-year-old pimple-faced boys. And Jesus was like, hey guys, let's go over to the other side. And the disciples, they'd never been there before. And they're kind of like, the other side? Like, seriously? You want us to go to the other side? We've never been to the other side. We don't want to go to the other side. He's like, hey guys, come on, let's go to the other side. In fact, I'm going to take a nap. I'm tired, I'm worn out. I'm going to go to the bottom of the boat. I'm going to take a nap. So Jesus does. He goes down to the bottom of the boat, takes a nap, and they take off. To the other side. It's not too long before they get out into the middle of this lake that all of a sudden this storm comes up and the winds are crashing or the winds are hailing and the uh, waves are crashing onto the boat and it's pouring down rain. And the disciples are like, We're going to die! We're going to die. We're going to die. Somebody go wake up Jesus. And somebody goes down and Jesus is like passed out at the bottom of the boat. Like, they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. He's like, what? And they kind of goes up to the deck and he, you know, he's stumbling because he's tired. And he just goes, be still. 
And immediately the winds and the waves are still. And all the disciples around there are like, who is that guy? Like, who is he? Even the waves and the wind obey him. Who is he? Now, I have no biblical evidence for this at all, but I can imagine that Peter, because Peter was always getting in trouble. Peter was like the black, uh, the black sheep, you know, he's like the stepchild. I can imagine Peter's in the back of the thing going, be still. Like, be still, you know, kind of like practicing Jesus magic, you know, like, be still, be still, you know. No evidence, but maybe. And Jesus comes back to him. He's like, guys, why are you afraid? Like, seriously, why are you afraid? Do you lack faith? Why? Finally, the boat gets to the other side. They put the anchor out. They walk up onto shore, and guess who they meet? A naked man. A naked man. They, like, get on shore, and all of a sudden, here comes this naked man coming down. And he's got shackles, like, on his you know, arms, and he's all cut up, and the disciples are like, see, Jesus, that's why we said we don't come to the other side. <laughs> that's what happens when we go to the other side. Naked man starts running down towards us. We need to go home, Jesus. Now, this guy basically had been given a lot to life that he was going to stay in a cemetery and they shackled him to tombstones. The problem was somehow he got away. And he got away and he's all cut up and he's running down and he looks and he sees Jesus. Now here's a fascinating thing. If you ever want to do a study on the first four books of the New Testament in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll find is something very, very fascinating. Who were the people who actually knew who Jesus truly was? Was it the religious people? No. Was it the disciples? No. It was the demons. It was the demons. And this guy is filled with demons, and he runs down to Jesus, and this is what he says. It'll come up on the side screen. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion. Now, Legion means 3,000 or 6,000. So this dude's messed up. He's got like a lot of demons in him. Now, at this time, there's like this other dude. So here's naked guy over here, okay? Then there's this other dude that's over here, and he is a shepherd of pigs, 2,000 of them. Like every single day, he's just like walking pigs. Come on, pigs. Come on, pigs. Go do your pig thing. Go do it. You know, he's minding his own business. He's like hanging out with pigs. And all of a sudden in this other spot, there's this naked man who starts shaking. And the legion says this, don't harm us. Let us go over to those pigs. Don't torture us. Let us go to those pigs. And Jesus, because he's actually God, he goes like that. 
And all of these spirits go into these pigs like arrows and the pigs start to go down the hill and they go to a lake and they drown. And here's the shepherd of the pigs. He's like, dude, those are my pigs. Like those are my pigs. So he's like, okay, my pigs. So he runs down to town. He runs down to him and he says, you know what? You know, naked guy at the cemetery. They're like, oh yeah, we know naked guy at the cemetery. They're like, he's there. And somebody came up to him and started talking to him. And then all of a sudden he like changes and whatever was in him goes to my pigs, and my pigs go down, and they've all drowned. They've all died. And they're like, say what? (laughs) Like, no, seriously, that's what happened. Now look at what it says, what happens next. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. The townspeople show up and they see this man. But he's not naked, crazy man anymore. He's actually got clothes on. He's dressed. He's in his right mind. And the people are afraid. Because something has changed. Something transformed this guy. It's like he's got this inner peace within him now. He was once out of his mind, but now he's in his right mind. And the people are finally, they like finally go to Jesus and they're like, just leave Jesus. You don't have to pay for the pigs, but just leave. Please leave. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat... The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell, that word means proclaim, proclaim to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I love this. Because here's this man who has had this total transformation of his life, and he comes up and he says, Thank you so much, For this inner peace, can I go with you? And like all of us, we want to think that Jesus is like this little cuddly little baby Jesus. That just says, come on, come, come to me. Jesus doesn't do that. You know what he says? It's too easy. It'd be too easy for you to do this. There's no challenge to it. It's too safe. You don't need to come with me for three years. What I need you to do is to go back to your people. But here's what's going on. He's got to proclaim this now. All throughout the ten cities, all throughout all of these pagan worlds, they know who he is. They know that he was connected to the cemetery. They know that he was a naked man out of his mind. And Jesus says, I want you to go there fully dressed and in your right mind, and I want you to watch how I'm going to use you. Take a risk, and God will use you. You know, this is an amazing thing to me. 
that most of us, that when we come to Jesus, or maybe better stated is when Jesus comes to us, we are so often quick to leave everything else that we knew before behind. And yet the amazing thing is in this story, when the guy comes to him, Jesus doesn't say, hey, come with me. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's do everything. You know what he actually does is he says, I'm going to turn your shoulders around. Look, you see, you see the city, you see the city, the 10 pagan towns. That's where I want you to go. Folks, the harvest is plentiful. But the risk takers are few. He's like, you are literally the only one who can go and make a difference. Then look at what it says in verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, that's great. You're like, man, that's awesome. It gets even better. You want to know know more? You want to know more? Three chapters later, Jesus comes back to the exact same place, to the Decapolis. He gets to the shore, and when he gets there, there are 4,000 people. Not one naked crazy man. 4,000, not naked crazy men, 4,000 people. And they're all hungry, spiritually hungry physically hungry, and Jesus does a miracle, and he feeds the 4,000. And why was he able to do that, folks? Because one man's life was transformed, but instead of saying, I want to do the safe thing, he said, I'll take a risk and I'll go straight to the town where they laugh at me, they make fun of me, they put me down, but I will take a risk because Jesus has changed my life and I will go and I will tell the people about what he has done for me. That man took his one story and God used it. You know the problem with a lot of you in this gym? Is that for a lot of you, you don't think God can use your story. You think because of stuff that you've done in your past, you can't be used. You're like, it's all messy. Everything's messy. And you might be right. It might be real messy. My past is messy. In fact, I don't know anyone's past that isn't a little bit messy, to be quite honest. People lie a lot, but they're truthful. There's some stuff in their past. But this is what I'd like to say. If God could use crazy, naked man, shackled, that nobody wanted anything to do with, and was pushed aside, left in shackles, connected to a tombstone, that I think God could use you. I think God could really use your story. Now, others of you in this gym, you know some people right now that are not in their right mind. Now, don't turn to the person beside you right now and go. But you know some people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying you know some people, they're hurting right now. 
They're going through a divorce. They're going through an affair. They're going through some financial crisis. They're going through a job loss. They're going through some pain. You know who they are. And the question is, are they worth the risk? Are you willing to take a risk on them? Folks, every one of your stories matter. Every one of your stories matter. And God is asking you to take a risk. To take a walk across the office floor, to, the way, to take a walk across the factory floor, to the way, take a walk across the cul-de-sac, across the street, to risk to people who you know are hurting, who you know might be out of their mind, but if you just invested in them, if you love them, if you show the love of Christ to them, they could be found in their right mind. But will you be willing to take the risk? Now, here's the second story, much shorter story, but it's a story about four friends who astonished Jesus. They just astonished him. In Mark chapter 2, this is what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So here's the story about this paralyzed man. The story doesn't tell us why he's paralyzed. We don't know if he's paralyzed at birth. We don't know if he fell. We don't know if he got some kind of disease, but he's paralyzed. And in the ancient Near East, folks, there was no public assistance. Like today, someone's paralyzed. There's assistance that happens to them. You're paralyzed in that world. You're left to the side. You're vulnerable. If you get cold, you're dependent on someone else to come and to take a blanket and to put over you. If you're hungry, you're dependent upon someone else to feed you. If you're thirsty, you're dependent on someone else to give you a drink. You are extremely vulnerable. And just imagine that these four buddies are like, man, things need to change. Something should change. And so one of these four tells the other three, hey, I heard Jesus is back in town. Like he's back at this home. I know exactly where he's at. What if we pick him up and we take him to see Jesus? Wonder if something would happen. And so that's what they do. They pick him up. They take him there. But when they get to the house, it's filled with people. And there's food and there's music and there's celebration and there's excitement. And there is no way they can get in there. And finally, one of them says, stairs. Let's go to the stairs. Let's go to the top of the roof. And he gets up there, and he sees some things, and he said, Hey, you guys see that rope? You see that uh, whip there? You get that. Get a pulley system together. I'm going to the roof, and meet me there in ten minutes. And so he gets to the top of the roof, and he just starts pulling away, ripping apart 
like all of the hay and all of the mud. And he finally gets to the shingles and he's like pulling these roof shingles off this. And Jesus is down there teaching, you know, with all of these people. And he's like, man, this is so great. And all of a sudden something hits him in the head. It's like, what's up? And stuff's hitting other people in the head. And finally they look up and here's this guy waving at him. Hey, hello. Hi. And Jesus looks up to him. And look at what it says in this next verse. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So first, you know, they're just waving and then they're like, Let's go for it. And they take the pulley system and they take it all the way down. They get him all the way down to right where he's face to face with Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And the very first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't that strange? He's been paralyzed his whole life. It seems like the kind, nice thing that Jesus should do is heal this man immediately. But he doesn't do it. Why doesn't he do it? Because there are some religious leaders that are around there, church people, the church lady, you know, from Saturday Night Live. There's some church people. They're all right there. And uh, he's like, you know what? I'm going to kind of mess with them a little bit. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, who is the only person that can forgive sins? This isn't hard. Who's the only person that can forgive sins? G-O-D. I'll give you a second. Okay, who is it? God. They don't know he's God. They just think he's some prophet. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And they're like, you can't forgive sins. You can't forgive sins. He can't do that. Here, let's get our little church committee together and let's get him out of here. And that's what they do. They try to start talking. And Jesus is like, all right, guys, whatever you want to do, let me ask you a question. Is it easier for a man's sins to be forgiven or is it easier for a person to be healed and walk. And they're like, duh, 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 duh. he's like, all right, whatever. I'm going to heal him right now. And then this next verse, he says, I tell you, get up and take your mat and walk. And it happens. This guy stands up and he begins to walk. And the whole room is like in awe. But it all started, folks, when four friends brought a friend to Jesus. Now, I want to share with you a real short video that will be on the side screens. And I want you to see a story of someone in the jar who is taking a huge risk and is a story of faith. Let's check it out. This is Evelyn. These are Evelyn's ten grandchildren. Every Sunday, Evelyn brings all ten of her grandchildren to the jar. Let's listen as Chris shares more of Evelyn's story. Now, Evelyn had a very different vehicle, a different car than the one that you just saw, which was a Suburban. When she first started bringing the grandkids, this is what she had. A Ford Taurus. A Ford Taurus. Now, initially, she only brought five kids. She had one kid that was in the front seat beside her, 
and then four that were in the back. But when she would start talking with some of the other kids, they're like, we want to go. We want to go to church too. And she couldn't say no because she wanted them to get connected and to learn about Jesus. So then she added six, seven, and eight. Now you might be asking, how can a Ford Taurus have one driver and eight kids? Floorboards. Floorboards. Now, again, we're not asking for all your parents to necessarily do this, okay? But that's what she did. She took a risk. And so she had one child beside her, and then she had six, seven, and eight on the floorboards, and then she had four in the back seat of her car. Now, this worked out pretty well, but uh, these kids just got so used to their spot that it was hard for them any other time to do something different. Uh, I was talking to her this week, and she said uh, one time she went to go pick up her son and her grandson, and the grandson gets to the car in the back, uh, the back door of the car, opens it up, gets inside, and immediately goes to the floorboard like this. <laughs> and the dad's there, and he's never seen this before, and he looks, and he's like, son, what are you doing? And uh, he's like, daddy, this is where I sit when we go to church. And uh, nine in a Taurus. Well, it worked out pretty well until one day they're driving here to church. There they are. They're driving to church and they get pulled over by the police. And the police officer comes up, you know, and he gets there and he's like, uh, ma'am. And then he looks down and here's all these little faces. She didn't get a ticket, by the way, okay, because we have, you know, good police officers. But he said, woman, you, you can't do this anymore. Now a decision has to be made. Is she going to take a risk? Or will she just tell the other kids, hey, sorry, you can't come anymore. Or we'll have to do a rotation basis. Now, do you think a single woman who has no kids living at her house needs a suburban? No, she didn't need a suburban. But she was willing to do anything in her power to get her grandkids to Jesus. You know, Evelyn's story, it convicts me. Like, it really convicts me. The first time I ever learned about this story was two years ago. We were at kids' camp. And I'm standing there greeting some of the kids, and all of a sudden, there's this parade of kids that come in all at once. And I'm like, who is that? And they're like, oh, that's Evelyn, and that's her grandkids. And this is what happened to me. I leave that day, and I'm driving, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see both of my daughters. But then I see three empty seats in the back. I got a Suburban. My seats are empty. I can't tell you how convicted I was that I was not willing to bring one kid, let alone ten. So that next day I said, I'm going to my neighbor. I go to my neighbor. They have a daughter named Kylie. I said, hey, Kylie, you want to go with us? Yeah, I'll go with you. 
And she gets there, and I drive, and I remember driving back that same night, and I looked up, and there was one person in a seat, but I still had two seats left. And I want to ask you this morning, how many seats are in your car that are empty today? How many seats did you bring today that actually had absolutely nobody in them? It actually was no use whatsoever. And I would think, you know, her story just challenges me so much. And I finally asked her one time when we sat down to talk about this, I said, Evelyn, why do you do this? Like, at the end of the day, why do you do this? And she said, why wouldn't I do it? It's the single greatest responsibility of my life to make sure that my ten grandkids are brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't compete with the other grandparents and what they can give financially, but I can give grandkids the greatest gift in life, and that is a relationship with Jesus. And I know, and she said this, I thought, oh my God, I need this kind of faith. I know if I die tomorrow, I know they have received the love of Christ, and there's no greater gift I could ever give to them. Well, that's Evelyn's story. It's powerful. My question is, what's your story? Like what is your story? What is your story? And this is the big take-home message I want you to get today. The big take-home point is that God can take your story and use it to change lives. He can take your particular story and he can use it to change lives. God took Evelyn's story and asked her to take a risk and she did. And think of the blessing of the legacy that she lives. All of us leave a legacy, folks. And for Evelyn, I can't imagine what God must be thinking. Ah, ah, yeah, ten Ten kids. So what about you? Will you take a risk? Will you take a risk on anybody? Will you take a risk to invite somebody, anybody? Will you take a risk on someone that you might have to go across the lake to connect with? Will you take a risk on the person who is out of their mind, and maybe if you reached out to them and you showed them love, that within time they could be in their right mind. Would you have the urgency and the determination that when you look at the different seats in your car, you would say, you know what, this is holy ground. It's holy ground. Would you be willing to pray to God and ask for boldness and courage? God, who is it that you want me to invite? Who is it that you want me to take this card to and invite so that their life could be changed? I'd like you to pull this out again because some of you will not do so. Some of you today will walk out of here, you'll not think anything of it. But it's not because you weren't told that this is like really important. This has changed lives. And if you don't have one of these, just raise your hand. One of our uh, greeters can get that for you. But when you leave today, and some of you were already scoping out the candy when you walked in. 
And some of you, I had to, well, I just won't say what I had to do with a couple people, but thieves. Now, when you leave today, you're going to get the, uh, one of these jars of candy. But it's not for you to consume. And if you consume it, you might go to hell. You might not, but you might. I'm just saying, you know. But you take that jar of candy. You take this invite. You take it to someone. And maybe it's a person that's hurting. Maybe it's a person who's far from God. Maybe it's a person that you know what the reality is? Man, this is their last chance. They're longing for someone to notice them. And you could be the conduit that could actually take and say, hey, here, just wanted to say happy Easter. If you'd like to come to us, uh, come with us to the jar uh, where I go to church, we'd love to, to have you do that. So here's my question. Will you put a name to every seat in your car? And it's convicted me. I've started praying this week. That God, God, would you really help me to think of who are the names? Would you have ears, ears that would uh, hear the whispers of God and be willing to take a risk on another person? Why don't we make a commitment today? Why don't we just say that on your watch and my watch, while we're here alive, that no one drowns. No one drowns on our watch. No one uh, goes away feeling discouraged and, and down and that no one cares for them. Not on our watch. We will risk whatever it takes because we've been rescued. Every seat matters, folks. Every seat matters. Every story matters. Every person matters. The question is, will you take the risk? Today, there are four people that are getting baptized. Someone took a risk on them one day. The reason why they're getting baptized is because someone took a risk and said, Hey, I'll invest in you. And eventually their life was changed and they were baptized. And you know, there is nothing more powerful. I had a good friend of mine just get baptized this last time. There's nothing more powerful than when you've invested your life in somebody and their life gets changed, and they're baptized, and they're made new. And I'd like you to look at a video of the newness of these four people.
If you would, please stand. Folks, your story matters. It matters more than you would ever think it would. And you know, I was thinking about it, and I kind of, I'm taking a risk here. I was thinking about it, and I was like, there comes a moment in time, folks, where you need to be challenged enough to let you know that there comes a point where you have to declare, you have to actually declare your story. And so I was running through this this week, and I was like, how could we end today? And the way I thought we could end is by actually all of us, with the best courage that we have right now, that we would actually declare that we would take a risk. And so I'd like you to simply repeat after me these words. I will put my story on display. I will risk. I will risk for my coworkers. I will risk for my neighbors. I will risk for my family and friends. I will risk for those who are drowning. And I will be available to God. I pray that those words are not just words you just repeated, but I pray that this week that you really would start taking some risk. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. If you need some courage in your story, they'd love to be here to pray for you. And uh, just one more risk that I'm going to take this morning. And it's this, that some of you have never been baptized before. Like, you've never been baptized. You've never made that commitment. And I was just thinking, maybe some of you would be like, dude, my life, I need Jesus in my life. I need his love. Because he loves you. Jesus is head over hills in love with you. Before you ever wake up in the morning, he's for you. He's with you. And Jesus took a big risk on every single person in this gym. He said, you know what? I don't know what they'll do, but I'm going to go to a cross and I'll die upon a cross and I'll take the crucifixion so that maybe some people would turn to me and they would be baptized. And so I went out and I bought towels. I had someone on our staff. I said, go buy some towels. And if there's anyone... You didn't take the class. You're just here. You're like, I don't know. But if God's like stirring in you, man, today's my day. I wouldn't worry about your clothes. You let me know. I'll pay for your clothes. I wouldn't leave without doing that. So we're going to close in prayer, and uh, then we'll head down to the baptism. And if you're, you're there, you want to do that, uh, just show up, and we'll pray with you, and you can take that step. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that you took a risk on us. Over 2,000 years ago, God, when you said, I'll let my one and only son, the thing that I treasure the most, that I'll give it away. 
And God, if there's anyone in this room today, God, that is feeling a sense of man, today really is my day. God, help him make that commitment. And Lord, for those of us who know you or have been connected to you, for some of us, God, we've just been sitting on the sideline. And you're like, would you please get in the game? Like people are dying. And they're longing for someone to reach out and take a risk on them. And so, God, I pray that you would help people today not just to walk by the candy and go, I'm not doing that. And that they wouldn't pick up the candy and just eat it all themselves. But they'd take that and, God, they would pray and they would ask who it is that you want them to invest in and that they would do it. And God, on Easter Sunday, may we see transformed lives so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.